Welcome to Apostolic Pulpit. I'm your host, Lane Kuhn. Today, we have a sermon titled, Far-Reaching Effects of Saul's Incomplete Obedience. This sermon was preached by Reverend George Glass Sr. at the United Pentecostal Church Campground in Tioga, Louisiana. It was either a camp meeting or a conference, but regardless, it was a daytime service. This is a great title and sermon thought, and toward the end of the sermon, Reverend Glass starts to do what preachers call plowing. And plowing is breaking up some of the rough soil of the heart by dealing with some ongoing issues that are present. This is an interesting sermon because some of the history that George Glass Sr. brings out about the organization of the United Pentecostal Church. This recording came from a cassette tape, and about halfway through, some audio drops. And that audio that was missed, you'll notice, was when the tape was being turned over for the recording. As always, I'm glad you're here and taking part in this project. If you want to support, you can subscribe, leave a review. You can also go and donate, join our monthly subscribers. I just kind of visualize how Brother Tiddy's going to feel when he finds out we were locked out. I just imagine somebody's going to come on the carpet that had a key and was supposed to open up. Aren't you glad nobody can lock heaven up? Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Well, we're going to get right into our message because we got to respect time. We can throw the entire day schedule out and off by this service this morning. I don't want to do that, so I, I watch time. A lot of people think I can't preach by a clock, but I can. Clock or a calendar either, it don't make much difference. <laughs> tell people you preach on the radio very much, you'll learn to watch a clock. They'll just cut you off and let you go on. <laughs> Praise God. And you know a lot of people will cut you off. Yes, sir. I'm reading this morning from the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. And I'm going to do as I did yesterday. I'm going to announce my sermon topic before I read, because when I read, you uh, you Bible scholars, there's going to be a whole world open up to you in the Bible when I read this. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. But I'm going to speak to you from this passage and these verses, from this thought the far-reaching effects of Saul's incomplete obedience. It's a little late, the sermon topic. The far-reaching effects of Saul's incomplete obedience. Now, many of you have accepted already that we're going to speak from the disobedience of Saul. We are not. 
we're going to speak from the far-reaching effects of Saul's incomplete obedience. He came so near obeying until he thought he had. He would have argued with anyone in the world he had. He even argued with the prophet Samuel that he had. And there's a possibility that we have come so near obeying until we could not necessarily be considered disobedient, but our obedience is incomplete. I'm reading from 1 Samuel 13 and 14. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? They told of his incomplete obedience. Saw the far-reaching effects. I want to get into that. I, I needed every moment that we've lost. The far-reaching effects, it goes back and it goes forward. Saul's incomplete obedience. You may be seated. I don't want you to read with me, but just listen to me. Beginning with the first verse of this chapter, Samuel reminds Saul of the day that God told him to anoint him king over his people, Israel. And Saul, of course, remembered it. Then Samuel said, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which, the Am which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. The Amalekites gave the Israelites much opposition when they were en route from Canaan, from Egypt to Canaan's land. They withstood them just constantly, gave them so much trouble. On one particular day, they were, they were in battle and war. And Moses said to his general, Joshua, you take our army down in the valley, and I'm going up on the hilltop, and I'll be on the top of the hill in the morning. And at daybreak, when the battle starts, and uh, you take the army against the Amalekites. Well, you can visualize the warfare in that day was so different from today. It was just man to man, club to club, sword to sword, just meeting face to face, battling it out. While the battle started, Moses is on the hill, the valley full of Amalekites and Israelites, battling, warring, in that constant age-old struggle, one nation of people against another. And Moses on the hilltop watching this battle, he lifted up his hands 
And when he lifted up his hands, the Israelites began driving the Amalekites back. And Moses stood there with his hands up. And as long as his hands was up, the Israelites was driving the Amalekites back, defeating them, pushing them back. And Moses standing there with his hands up. But uh, he can't hold his hands up forever. Sometimes you get off by yourself and just hold your hands up and see how soon they get heavy. No longer than mine has been up there crying to come down. Seems like I've got a brick bat in each hand just trying to push my hands down. But he held them as long as he could. And while they were up, Joshua is defeating the enemy, driving them back. But finally his hands got so heavy, they fell by his side. And when his hands fell down by his side, the battle reversed in the valley. The Amalekites began driving the Israelites back. And Moses stood there with his hands down, and the Israelites losing all the ground that they had gained being pushed back, pushed back. Well, Moses rested his hands, and then he lifted them again. And when he lifted them again, the battle reversed. Joshua began driving the enemy back. Now, isn't that strange? Isn't that unusual? But God gives victories in his own way and not necessarily in our way. And as long as Moses hands us up, Joshua was driving the Amalekites back. Keep your hands up, Moses. Well, how long? How long can a man stand up there with his hands up? He held them up again, no doubt, just as long as he could. And down they came. And when they came down, battle reversed again. That went on until it was clearly understood without anyone telling them that the victory is not dependent on the strength of the army in the valley. But it's dependent on where the leader's hands are. I'm going to drive a point home here this morning. The victory that God's given comes God's way. It is not by might. It is not by power. But it's by my strength, my spirit, saith the Lord. And I want a God-given victory. Praise the Lord. God-given. Our churches need God-given victories. 
not a little splash over spirit when a choir sings a little shout in your feet and as soon as the song's over it's all over what we need is a God sent victory that all hell can't deprive us of praise the Lord praise the Lord well we can have it we can have it we can have it. Keep your hands up, Moses. That's determining our victory or defeat. And we want a victory. But how can you expect that man to stand there forever with his hands up? He needs some help. And there was a couple of men, thank God for men that can see. There was a couple of men saw when Moses' hands is up, Joshua is winning the battle. When Moses' hands are down, Joshua was losing the battle. And these two men, Aaron and Hur, they got them a stone. And they brought that stone and placed it right behind Moses. And they took Moses and set him down on that stone. And one got on one side and held this hand up. Another got on this side and held this hand up. And with the support of good consecrated, dedicated, understanding, loving men. The leader's hands were stayed up and Joshua won the battle. Praise the Lord. The greatest need of this hour in our church is dedicated, consecrated, God-fearing, God-loving men and women that will hold their leaders' hands up. Now, I preach, I preach all through this country. In just another week or two, I'll be in Maryland, Maryland, D.C., preaching. I'm just letting you know I preach all over the country. I preach in dead churches and I preach in live churches. I preach in dead districts and I preach in live districts. And it's been proven to me the church, the church that has a good leader and they'll hold that leader's hands up, hold them up, they're going to have revival. Their children's going to get saved. Their loved ones is going to get saved. Their neighbors are going to get saved. Their friends are going to get saved. If they're holding their leaders' hands up. But I've gone to places where they were pulling their leaders' hands down, and you'd choke you down to try to sing a song. A preacher would almost choke to death trying to preach. They're pulling their leaders' hands down. Their children are backsliding. 
Their friends are backsliding. They have no sinners to preach to. There's no victory in the church. Why? It's where the leader's hands are. I go to districts, and it's the same way. I thank God for Louisiana District. There's one virtue that I cherish. Praise God. Our people, our preachers hold their leaders' hands up. I'm going, to, I'm going back three or four, seven or eight years. I heard, I was pastoring in the Ritter, and I heard that Brother Chambers is going to be in our district conference. I called him long distance to preach for me in the Ritter, and I'll have you at the conference Monday night for the opening service. He came. Well, he conducted the election. It was a, it was a year that Brother Weeks was reelected. The next year, I did the same thing. The next year, I did the same thing. It got out around in my area that the big shots from headquarters wouldn't preach in small churches. They preach in churches with carpeted floors and padded pews and chandeliers. And I didn't like that said about Brother Chambers because he preached three consecutive years for me. I didn't like that. And I was in a fellowship meeting, and I just announced, you know why Brother Chambers preached for me three consecutive years? I called him up and invited him to come. He don't feel too big to preach in a small church. He's just not asked to. And he's too much of a gentleman to push yourself on anybody. So I say, if you're not going to ask anybody to preach for you, don't say nothing about him not coming. Praise the Lord. Well, the second, the second year of Brother Weeks' election, Brother Chambers can be very sober. He talks very sober. He, he, he came to me, he said, Brother Glass, said, poor Brother Weeks, he's losing ground. I said, what do you mean, Brother Chambers? He said, why, two years ago, on the nominating ballot, he had two votes against him. You think of that. Brother, if that's not unity, a whole district conference and two votes against him. And he said, Brother Glass, this year he had four against him. He's losing ground. That's unity. Oh, I wouldn't have been one of those four. I, I, I wouldn't have been one of those two. And Louisiana's been knitted like that ever since it's been organized. That's one reason why we have camp meetings that they hear about all over the nation. Praise God. We hold our leaders' hands up. Hold them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. And it'll go home to your churches. Go home to your churches. Hold your pastor's hands up. Now, he don't need you. He don't need you when he's preaching. He don't need you to set a chair down behind him in the pulpit, stand on each side with a hand up. That, that, that isn't what he needs. He needs your prayers. He needs your prayers. He needs your moral support. He needs your influence. The demons are against that preacher. All the demons of hell is against that pastor. 
All the sinners are against him nearly. And when the saints turn against him, the church is defeated. Praise God, but when there is one walk together. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad I can say this in my home district. Help build this campground. Help lay the blocks. Brother Tenney said Brother Glass laid two-thirds of the blocks on the old tabernacle where the dining hall is now. I said, yes, that's right. And I'm sure glad they've covered it up so they won't see those crooked block courses. My, I wasn't no block layer. We were just building us a tabernacle. That's all. Thank God. And I know this district from way back. I know the general work from a gray back. And I can stand in a general conference. I can stand in a, in, in a district conference account meeting in Louisiana. And I can say not one single one of you, not one person nowhere in this world has ever heard me say aught against one single one of our leaders down through the years. I hold their hands up. Praise God in prayer, in influence, in support, financially, morally. Keep their hands up, and you're going to enjoy victories, 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 victories. Well, after the battle is over, God spoke to Moses. And he said, Moses, I want you to rehearse this in the ears of Joshua. I am going to wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. I am going to destroy them as a nation. Now, they will no longer be a people because of the opposition that they have given Israel, my people, in journeying to Canaan's land. Well, Moses no doubt was something like us. If God tells you he's going to do that, you can't expect him to do it that day. And we do. We don't have patience enough to wait. Well, God really did do it in his day, but not in Moses' day. You see, a day with the Lord is a thousand years with us. And a thousand years with us is just one single day with God. And the Lord said, I'm going to destroy them off of the face of the earth. And they'll no longer be a people. While Moses did not live to see that. Did not live to see it. But God made that promise to Moses. He told him to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. And he did. But neither of them lived to see it. But God kept his promise. Four hundred years later, he spoke to Samuel and said, Tell Saul to mobilize him an army and destroy the Amalekites off of the face of the earth. I want him to not only destroy the men, but the women, the children, the sucklings, the babies, the sheep, 
the camels, the asses, all of us fall. I don't want nothing left of them. Now that's in keeping with the promise that God made Moses and told him to rehearse it in the ears of Joshua 400 years ago. And now God is keeping his promise. That's in his day. That's really before dinner with God. That's the same day that he promised it. Don't get impatient with the Lord. He'll keep every promise he ever made in his own good time. I think about uh, the Lord telling Peter. He comes up on the uh, Sea of Galilee after Peter has fished all night and mended his nets and put them away. And the Lord said, let your net down on the right side to ship. Well, Peter's first thoughts is, I've, I've already mended my nets and put them away. Why didn't you come about 3 o'clock this morning while I had them out there in the water? That would have been my time for you to come. No, God comes in his time. God comes in his time. And it may not be the best time for you, you think, but it's the best time for God and you and he comes in his own good time. Praise the Lord. Well, he said, here now, 400 years later, I read to you or quoted to you, God told Samuel, tell Saul to destroy all the Amalekites off of the face of the earth. Destroy. Destroy them. The women, the children, the sucklings, all of their spoil. I don't want them to no longer be a nation that's in keeping with the promise. Well, Saul mobilized him an army of 210,000 men. And I kind of like what he did here. I can't find where the Lord told him to, but he did it. And I like it. I like the principle, the thought of it. Now living among the Amalekites, don't get confused with these kites and ites and listen to me. Was a people known as the Kenites. Now the Kenites history was they had been very friendly to the Israelites when they were en route to Canaan. And now here they are living among the Amalekites. And Saul don't want to destroy them with the Amalekites. So he issues a proclamation, all of you Kenites get out from among the Amalekites because we're going to destroy them off of the face of the earth and we don't want to destroy you with them. Now all of our churches have friends, friendly people that come in and sit down. I know sinner men that pay their tithes to the church. They'll call the pastor their pastor. Family, remember the family dies, the pastor buries them. They're friends to the church, but they're not in the church. I'd like to issue this proclamation to every friend of the United Pentecostal Church. Come on in among us. Get in among, get out of the world. Get out from among those 
Amalekites, they're doomed. This world is doomed, my friends. It's doomed. It's seeing its best day today. That's why we preached to you a few mornings ago, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the, the world is going to pass away with all the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. One writer, one writer says, Come out from among her, my people. Be not partakers of her sins and receive not of her plagues. She's going to be plagued for her sins. And if you're out there among them, you're going to receive of the plagues. Separate yourself. Separate yourself. Get out from among them. Well, the Kenites must have appreciated Saul's proclamation. And Saul gave them time and they got out from among the Amalekites. And then Saul waded into them. He slew them. The scripture says from Havilah to Shear. That's across the nation, down against the Egyptians' border. He slew Amalekites and the slew their spoil. He had enough evidence outwardly to convince anybody in the world that he'd obeyed the Lord. And a lot of people have enough evidence outwardly that they've obeyed the Lord. He could have took you on top of this hill and said, look down that hillside. And all you would see is slain Amalekites and their spoil. Women, children, sucklings, camels, sheep, oxen, asses. Now look down this hillside, there, down that hillside, and up the other is slain Amalekites and their spoil. Now look down this way. Let's go up on this hilltop. He could have just given you all the evidence that you wanted that he had kept the commandments of God. And that seems to satisfy all of us just so little that people can't see anything to criticize us about. We better forget about the fear of criticism and get the fear of God. Praise the Lord. If they want to find fault with you, they'll find it no matter what you do. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Tell you who the Lord's are coming after. He's a coming after the church. And I'm going to stay right in the big middle of the church. I'm going to stay with it. You've got me on your hands. Never entertained in my life. One single moment of time thinking about leaving the church. Never. I've had, I've had other organizations to contact me and ask me. No, I've never changed. I've never changed. When I come into the organization many years ago, it was called PMA. 
at a Pentecostal ministerial alliance. And after I got papers with the Pentecostal ministerial alliance, I heard there's another organization called the PA of JC. I was so disappointed. I never will forget in my young Christian life how disappointed I was. And when I heard there was another organization, I actually in my heart wondered if you could belong to both of them. And I found out you couldn't carry credentials with both of them, but you could actually belong to both of them if you'd love both of them. Praise the Lord. A little later on, they changed the name of the organization I was in from Pentecostal Ministerial Alliance to Pentecostal Church Incorporated. That was what was called the PCI. Now, I didn't make no change. They just changed the name. I made no change. I never made a change. I'm right where I started off. Well, I stayed in the PCI, loving the PAJC. I see a few of you here. Dear old Sister Cox, she knows we were friends when she was PAJC. I was PCI. We didn't let that make any difference. And there were so many people that it make no difference until it tore up all those credentials and they made one call the United Pentecostal Church. They merged. They merged. I'm just telling you where I came from. Never did change from one thing to anything. This has always satisfied me. I never looked for nothing else. I'm not looking for nothing else now. Alone. God woke Samuel up. It repenteth me that I ever made Saul king. He hath not performed my commandment as I commanded him. And the scripture said Samuel wept the rest of the night. As a pastor, I know what it is. To wake up in the night, two or three o'clock in the morning, and it hits you. Some saint in the church is failing. And I know what it is to fall out of the bed and go to another part of the house so I won't disturb my wife. And get out on my face and cry and pray. Pray, pray. They're over at their house sound asleep, just snoring away. And the pastor's down on the floor crying out to God for I know what that is. I know what it is. And every pastor on these grounds know what it is. And many of you saints have robbed them of hours and hours of sleep. They fasted and prayed for your delinquency when you was eating steaks, and they're doing without. You were drinking cool, cold iced tea or ice water, and their tongue was thick 
fasting and praying and depriving themselves of water, praying. You're going to face God, folks. You're going to face God for the heartache that you've caused your leaders. My, my district leader is in this building this morning. There's not a one of you on these grounds that appreciate him more than I do. I could get up here, I could get up here and, and call him son. I could. I baptized him in Jesus' name. Received the Holy Ghost when he was a sophomore. Brought him on these grounds when he's 17. And we gave him a local license you couldn't give him before then. But there's not a preacher on these grounds got more respect for Brother T.F. Penny than I have. You'll never hear me call him Tom. I hear some of them calling him Tom. You'd never hear me call him Tom. That's my district superintendent. Over me. Over me. And, and, and I try to do what he tells me to do. And he's told me to do some things that I had to do a lot of canceling out other things to do. But I did it. And I'll do it again. I respect my leader. Praise the Lord. Had a young evangelist come to hold me a revival. And before he come there, the church knew him. They called him Jimmy. His name is Jimmy Mead. I forget what his wife's name was. They called her by her given name. I, but the night before they came to start their revival, I told that church, I don't want to hear a one of you call him Jimmy. And I don't want to hear a one of you call her whatever her given name was. They're coming here as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The highest office God has to give a man is a call to the ministry and I want you to call him brother Mead and sister Mead I want you to have respect and honor for them praise the Lord I'm going to respect those that are over me in the Lord my own son is my, is my pastor but in the town of Derrida, nobody ever heard me call him son. Nobody's ever heard me call him George. I respect him as my pastor. I call him pastor. Pastor. Pastor Glass. It's respect. Some people are so disrespectful. They can say the hardest things against their pastor and then play the hypocrite and put their arms around them and tell them to love them. I wouldn't be that kind of a hypocrite for nothing in the world. I'd rather be one that slipped in at the back door of a theater. I'd rather be one that slipped in at the back door of an of a arena. I'd rather be one that slips in at the back door of a carnival than to be one that criticizes, bemeans, and runs down and talks about my pastor or my leader and then tell him I love him. What a lie. What a hypocrite. Brother, I'm not getting much response from about half of you. 
you're telling off on yourself. You'll never lose. You'll never lose. You'll never lose. David respected Saul as long as he lived. After Saul has backslid and seeking the life of David, he still respected him as the anointed of God. Somebody said, yeah, and bring up all that Saul. Well, he, David said, when God's through with him, he'll take him out of the way. I won't have to do it. God will move him. One of the first things I heard when I came back to Louisiana came on these grounds. I, I got the shock of my life. Somebody said, Brother Glass, come to me in private. Took me off to the side. They may have been trying to feel of me. I don't know. They said, Brother Glass, we need a change in leadership here. I said, what do you mean? He said, Brother Weeks has been here too long. I said, oh, no, no. Look what's happened under his administration. Look what he's done here. Look what he's still doing. And his influence is not only in this district, but it's worldwide Pentecost. The expert said he's had his day. I said, listen. I feel like whenever God's through with Brother Weeks, he'll take care of that, and he'll have a man ready for the position. This man said, well, I think there's a man already ready. I said, he hadn't showed himself to me. I haven't seen nobody that's ready to take his place. Not in my book, he's not. Not with my ballot, he's not. You're not going to get me off out here and get me to talk against and vote against one of our leaders. been back in Ritter but a very short time. A preacher from the section came to me and said, Brother Glass, you, you had a lot to do with bringing this district into, into existence. You were the first secretary, one of the first officers. You, you helped build everything on the campground as long as you was here. You've been an organizational man all your life. Now, we're ready to elect you presbyter against Brother Ashworth, sitting in the privacy of my study. I looked at him. I said, listen, Brother Ashworth has never done me nothing but good. He's my presbyter. He hadn't failed me nowhere that I know of. He's also my friend. And I want you to know that I won't run against him. I'm going further than that. I won't vote against him. I'm with him on the ballot. And you know what I found out a little later? That man didn't want me running against Brother Ashworth. That's the way he had it, getting me into a conversation. He wanted me to say, no, you run against him. You run against him. But he got the shock of his life. I'm not going to support nobody against him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord.
Saul, Saul got up from his weeping and he went out to meet, uh, I mean Samuel got up from his weeping the rest of the night, went out to meet Saul. And I, I don't feel like Saul is really playing the hypocrite. I feel like he was as sincere as you and I are. He said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have kept the commandments of the Lord this day. Felt real good. He had kept them. He felt like he had. Just like you feel like you have. And you may have to 90%, but God's a 100%er. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm really warmed up now. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me finish, let me finish. What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul justified himself, tried to. We kept back the best offer for sacrifice. God's not asking for sacrifice. He's asking for obedience. Now here's my subject. The far-reaching effects. Look how far it reached. It reached back 400 years and affected a promise God made to Moses and told him to confirm it in the ears of Joshua. You don't know what your life really touches. You didn't just come into church in this 20th century. You come into the church of the living God that started way back yonder. And he's given you a chance to fit into a little link in it. If he tarries his coming, it'll go on after you're gone. Are you going to contribute to it while you're in it? Or are you going to take away from it? You can even take away from what saints have done that's already in their grave. Or you can add to it. Reach back. God wants to keep his promise. He's not slack concerning his promise. He wants to keep it. And he, he honored, he honored Saul with the honor of being not only king of Israel, but fitting into my program to help me carry out my promises. Did you understand what I said? Not only honored to be king, but to fit into my program to help me carry out my promises. God has promised that this gospel shall be preached in all the world, and he's using us wants to use us to keep his promise. Your disobedience, backslidden condition, and backsliding affects more people than you. You're not the only one involved in this. You're in the eternal program of God. Now listen, I've got to hurry. I'm, I won't put my glasses on and look at my watch. I've got to, I've got to hurry. Uh, we got a late start, Brother Tenney. The door was locked. We didn't get in here until 10 minutes after 7. I want Brother Tenney to know that. Uh, let me hurry. Praise the Lord. Now look where it went into the future. 
Saul was the first king of Israel. If he hadn't have been a man of incomplete obedience, his son would have been the second king. Look what a price you're paying, Saul. Look at it. Men, are you ready to pay that price? Are you? Then the third king could have been Jonathan's son. The fourth king could have been Saul's great-great-grandson. But his incomplete obedience has cut his whole family off. Whole family. God's established his kingdom with another family. David's family. Are you ready to pay that price? If I had the time, I could just bring you just the numbers of Preachers on these grounds whose dad's on the same grounds with them. Would they be here if it wasn't for dad? I could bring to you any number of men and women, saints on this campground. Their children are here with them. Would their children be here if they weren't? I got one of the sweetest aunties in the world in this service this morning. Aunt Amber Glass. I love her. I love her dearly. And sitting right by her side is her daughter, Iva. Aunt Amber, would Iva be here if you weren't? I'll use our district superintendent. He's got one son, pastor in a church in Lafayette. Brother Tenney, would he be pastor in a church? Had you not to give your heart to God when you was a sophomore in high school? Far reaching a thing. His daughter married a preacher. Would she, Terry, married a preacher? Had she not grown up in a preacher's home? far-reaching effect. Don't break that chain. I told you I am a third-generation Pentecost, and I'm 74 years old. We'll be in 10 days. Two ahead of me and two behind me. I'm the middle link. Two ahead and two behind. Am I going to break that link? Am I going to break that link? Five generations in the family. Five. My mother, grandmother, my children, their children. Five generations. Don't break it. Don't break it. Don't far-reaching effects. Far-reaching. Saul, you're depriving every member of your family. Not just you. Dads, you're supposed to lead the way. God pity the poor little wife that's trying to raise a family of children with an unsaved husband. Praise God. In less than 50 years, Saul's family is completely annihilated. 
Can't find them. Where are they? David is still king. Less than 50 years. Saul's dead. His whole family's gone. David cries out. Does anybody know? Does anyone know where there's one single member of Saul's family? I'd like to do him good for Jonathan's sake. And somebody spoke up and said, I can tell you down at Loaded Bars, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a cripple, lame prince. He, the nurse dropped him, crippled him while they were trying to escape when Saul's family was destroyed. And they were all destroyed but Mephibosheth. David is kind enough to bring him into the temple and let him eat at his table and sleep in the temple the rest of his life. Restored to him all that's all lost. David was a good king and a good man. But you see how far-reaching the effects of Saul's incomplete obedience was. Reached back 400 years and reached into the future. Deprived all of his sons and their sons and their sons and their sons of being king of Israel. Praise God. How many of you want to keep a link of going? Holy to God. Let's stand worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Glass. We so appreciate what we have heard, what we felt in this place today. Breakfast is ready. Please remember that our morning Bible lesson begins at 9 o'clock uh, today. Brother Freeman, will you pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the food and dismiss us? <laughs>